Hey, Cedar Mill, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Bethany, and I'm the pastor to women here. And we're excited to be with you as we continue our series in the book of Romans. And at about this point in our series, it's important to note that the first five chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul is unpacking the gospel for us. That Jesus took the just punishment for our sin on the cross, and we put our faith in him, we receive his free offer of grace. And friends, then we are transformed from unforgiven sinners into forgiven and beloved sons and daughters of God. And then it's from chapter six on that the Apostle Paul continues to unpack the gospel and how the gospel actually transforms us our entire lives. But friends, the Apostle starts where he should when he's talking about transformation. He, talk, he begins with the subject of the influence of sin in our lives. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, uh-uh, no, no, no. I just want a positive and encouraging sermon. No sermons on sin. I'm checking out, thumbs down, you're canceled. But if I could just challenge you, friends, that the reality is, is that until we discuss the influence of sin in our lives, we will never experience true freedom in Christ. The world would tell us that our greatest issues are out there, but the reality is that they're in here. And besides that, this text should be one of the most encouraging and freeing texts for you in the entire Bible. But with that said, our family since March isn't any different than any other family. We found ourselves with a little extra time in the evenings. And one of the things our kids have done is they began to show me some of their favorite movies. Honestly, in March, I had seen one Marvel Avengers movie. I'm proud to say I stand here today and I have seen almost all Marvel Avengers movies. And I even have my own favorite Avenger. Anybody want to guess? Spider-Man. No, (laughs) Thor, big dude with a hammer, gets me every single time. But what my kids didn't plan on or anticipate is how long this deal was going to go on. And now their dad is beginning to show them some of his favorite movies. So it's been a bit of a 90s film festival at our house lately. And in the last couple of weeks, I've, in, I've introduced them to some of Bill, Murray, Bill Murray's movies. Anybody know Bill Murray? Please tell me you do. Yes. And so the other night, I tried to get the kids to watch one of my favorite Bill Murray movies, and that is Groundhog Day. And if you know Groundhog Day, Bill Murray is this cynical weatherman who keeps living the exact same day over and over and over again. But as I watched that movie and I pondered this text, it dawned on me that for a lot of us, that's our struggle with sin. It feels like Groundhog Day gone completely wrong. We sin, we feel this weight of guilt, maybe shame, we repent, and then we promise, Lord, I'm going to try harder next time. And we're okay for a little while. And then we sin, feel this weight of guilt and shame, we repent and we say, I'm just going to try harder again next time. And we get caught in this cycle of just trying harder and harder. When I was in high school, my buddies and I used to compete to see who could lift or bench press the most weight. And at one point, one of my buddies, he bench pressed more than any of us by far. And I thought for about a month and a half, I have got to lift as much weight as my friend. So I would try and I would try and I would try to lift this weight. But inevitably, I wasn't able to do it, and the guys, the spotters there helping me, would have to lift the bar up. But one day, I got the the wise idea in my high school mind. I was at the athletic club by myself, and I thought, you know what? I'm feeling um, particularly 
strong today. I think this is the day I'm going to be able to lift that bar. And so I got my Walkman, slipped in my dubbed 90s rock tape, my workout tape, dropped the headphones on. It was probably Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, laid down on the bench. And I remember pushing the bar up by myself, thinking I'm going to do this thing. But about halfway down, I realized this bar isn't going up again. And it just crushed into my chest. About that time, some girls from my high school walked by. And I just told myself, just pretend like this is what you meant to do. Like anybody just takes a break with the bar crushing into their chest. And then a few moments later, some guys who are about my age now came by. And one of them looked down at me and he said, hey, buddy, are you okay? And then he lifted it up. I gathered my things and I took off. And friends, I think, again, that's kind of representative of some of our struggle with sin, that we try and we try and we try. And we think for some reason that Jesus has done the heavy lifting on the cross so that we can be forgiven, that we can be justified. But it's up to us to do the heavy lifting, Mm. to be transformed and to become like Jesus. But what I'm really excited about in our passage today is that we see that the gospel is not only about our salvation, It's about our transformation. The gospel isn't just for us at one moment in life. It's something we need to preach to ourselves every single day. And we're going to see in our passage this morning that the same spirit that was at work drawing us to faith is the same spirit now that's moving in us to make us more and more like Jesus. So, would you open your Bibles with us this morning to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 14. So, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, I'll give you a moment to get that ready. I'll get your Bibles open. And before we read, let's just go ahead and pray. Mm. Father, through your prophet Isaiah, you say that your word goes forth and accomplishes all your purposes. And we believe that, Father. And so we ask what we should always ask, that you open our ears to hear. You prepare our hearts to receive all that you would have and teach us today. And Lord, I ask especially right now that we are able to fully comprehend the vastness and the power and the magnificence of the gospel in our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen. You follow along with me, friends. Again, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Absolutely. Now, before we unpack uh, chapter six, I just want to jump back for a moment to chapter five, right before chapter six um, in verse 20 and 21. And it says this, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's important to understand that before we get into chapter six and dive into that um, so that we understand the context here of what Paul has just said. And did you notice the word rain? And not the kind of rain that we were praying for last week, right? <laughs> um, which is the first time I prayed for rain in Oregon, Me for too. sure. Me too. Yeah. Um, but the kind of rain that asks the question, who is king? Who is in control? Who has authority in your life? And Paul says that sin reigned in death and grace reigns to bring life. Either sin is king or grace is king. And those really are the only two options. Paul also says here that as sin increases, grace will super increase. So if you confess your sin to Jesus and you say, I have sinned, he will say, my grace abounds. And if you say, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I really messed up this time. This was big. He will look at you and say, my grace is even greater. Friends, how amazing is that? <laughs> now, Paul anticipates what some might ask after understanding this confounding truth about grace. And that brings us to chapter six. And we see in verse one, he asks the rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Essentially, if the gospel is driven by grace, why not just keep messing up? Why not just keep sinning? And grace will just keep increasing in your life and God's just gonna be good with that. And here's Paul's response in verse two. He says, by no means, like absolutely not, no way, heck no. That's not the way the gospel works. And that would not line up with what Paul had taught back in chapter three and four and five. And then he asks another question, the second part of verse two, and he says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? And he's making the observation that if we claim to be in Christ, if we have placed our hope and our trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, then how can we continue to willfully and habitually sin? That would be inconsistent or opposed to the gospel. 
Because Jesus says in John 14, 23, he says, the one who keeps my commands and obeys them, that's the one who loves me. And then in in 1 John, we see, John says, if we claim to walk in the light, but we continue to live in darkness, we are liars and the truth is not in us. And to help us better understand what Paul is communicating here in relationship to sin and the believer who has been saved by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we need to understand what it means to be dead to sin. What died? Does it mean that the presence or the influence of sin in our lives is gone or that we no longer sin again? Or are we completely oblivious to sin like something that is dead is completely oblivious to its surroundings? Do you remember um, Abraham when he was like four? He got that little fish. Big eyes. (laughs) Named Big Eyes. He named him Big Eyes. Um, And I think he named him Big Eyes because when we got into the car after leaving the pet store, I think the fish was looking at him with these big eyes like, did I really just get like a four-year-old owner? Anyways, eventually Big Eyes died. It wasn't a long life. You know, it it wasn't a long life in our home. There's lots of overfeeding and, you know, things like that. Anyway, so... Big Eyes died and was in his little fishbowl, and Abraham just kept talking to him. And I think as parents, we weren't quite sure what to do. It was kind of like, okay, what do we do now? Do we flush the fish? Do we, like, have the death conversation, bury it? Um, Should we just run out and buy another fish? But anyway, so Abraham is saying things like, oh, this little fish, you know, Big Eyes is swimming on his back, and we're just like, oh, that's great, you know, and kind of waiting this out. Um, And Big Eyes obviously wasn't responding because he was dead. He was oblivious to his surroundings. But that's not exactly what Paul is saying in this passage about being dead to sin. He's not saying that we're oblivious to sin or that we no longer are aware of sin or that we no longer sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't say what he says later in verse 12 and 13. But the point he's making is who reigns? Who is your master? Who is your king? Either sin is king or Jesus is king. And before coming to faith in Jesus, we had no power over sin. We were obligated. It called and we responded. It was master and we were slaves to it. But once our faith and our trust is in Jesus, we're set free from that power of sin, the obligation to sin. It's no longer king. It no longer reigns. It's no longer master. And as I was studying this passage, or we were this past week, it was pretty convicting for me. I was thinking, gosh, I don't think I, I really grasped that fully. And I've been walking with Jesus you know, for a long time. I still strive. I still think like after I've lost it with the kids or yelled at my husband or (laughs) refused to, yeah, I don't know, forgive or apologize. Um, I forget that I have the power of the Holy Spirit over sin, that it's not about striving to be better next time, but we can call on the power of his Holy Spirit. And then Paul continues in verse three through five, and he says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And this is not a literal water baptism, but it's being united with Christ. And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that 
just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So our old self is buried and dead and we are raised to life with Christ, to a completely new life. And being united or being with Christ means when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose from the dead to a glorious life, we were risen as well. We become an entirely new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Old things pass away and new things come. Our identification with Christ is both in his death and in his resurrection. Now, when we sin, are we forgiven? Yes, absolutely. Are we restored? Yes, absolutely. But that sin cycle that Paul mentioned of habitually doing the same sin over and over and over again is the cycle of our old life. Once we are in Christ, we have power over that, and you are now free. In Christ, you have the power by his spirit to no longer live under that weight or under that shame or under that control in your life. Isn't that good news? Hmm. Now, Paul goes on to explain in chapter six how this power of the gospel frees us and transforms us. And this happens through three different things. First, it's through what we know. We see that in verse six. Second, it's through what we consider, and we see that in verse 11. And third, we see that in what we present ourselves to. So first, we have to know, like, the full extent of the power of the gospel in our lives. Verse 6 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have to know it. We have to know like what I just explained, that sin no longer reigns and rules in our lives. It is no longer a mastery of the power through the Holy Spirit over it. When I was uh, playing volleyball in in high school, um, I had this coach who was amazing. He was a great coach, but he had a pretty hot temper and would lose his cool quite a bit. And um, I remember one game, he like broke the soles of his shoes and he was always breaking clipboards and things like that. So if we made a mistake, let's say five minutes late to practice, or we kept making the same mistake in the game, and then he would instruct us or tell us like, now you need to go sit on that wall in a squat until I tell you to get up. Or he would just tell us to run and he would let us know when we could stop. Now, if that same coach were to walk in here today and say, Bethany, I want you to go sit on that wall in a squat, or I want to see you on the track tomorrow at 5.30 in the morning, and you're going to run until I tell you to stop. That would be crazy if I did it, right? You'd probably be going like, you don't need to submit to him anymore. Okay, that was back in high school. And it's the same thing with sin. It is no longer our authority. We don't have to obey it. As crazy as it would be for me to obey a high school coach that walked in here, it's that crazy to go back to that old life. We can and we will sin, but we no longer have to. We're no longer obligated to serve that old king. And I love how John Stott puts it about knowing this truth. 
He says, we are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are so integral to our mindset that a return to the old life is unthinkable. We can go back and live that old life if we choose to, like the prodigal son could have gone back to feed the pigs. But why? Why would he? We've been freed from sin's reign and rule in our lives. And we have a good, good father who loves us, has died for us, has rescued us, has redeemed us. And verse eight and nine tells us that is exactly what the gospel has done for us. Death no longer has dominion. Christ's finished work on the cross is what sets us free. Beautiful. So friends, we need to know And then look with me in verses, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, I want to hone in on that word consider. Okay, that word consider, that's an an accounting term. It means to add things up. It's uh, irrefutable. But that word consider, we also see it. It's the Greek word we see in Romans 4. When Paul discusses how God counts us or considers us righteous when we put our faith in Jesus. And it's a bit like the Apostle Paul is saying, God considers you as righteous. Now it's your turn to consider yourselves as free from the reign and the rule of sin in your lives. Friends, when Paul's talking about this, he's really getting at the heart of like deep identity stuff. That we no longer see ourselves as slaves to sin, but we see ourselves as free in Christ. Free from the reign and the rule of sin in our lives. And that it's essential for us as we navigate this world to remember that that is our identity. One of my favorite stories about Augustine, and if you don't know who Augustine is, he was an influential church leader, probably one of the most influential church leaders of all time. But Augustine, before he became a Christ follower, was a straight-up hedonist. He did everything, every sin you could imagine, Augustine did. And an interesting side note, Augustine became a Christ follower when he heard a public reading of the book of Romans. But one of my favorite stories Augustine shares is after he became a Christ follower, he was walking through a town square and he heard this voice crying out his name, his first name, Aurelio, Aurelio. And he realized a woman running at him was one of the mistresses he used to live with before he became a Christ follower. And she ran up to Augustine and she said, Aurelio, it is me. And I love Augustine's response. He's like, I know but it is no longer I. Mm -hmm. Friends, this identity is being uh, children of God who've been set free from the reign and rule of sin in our lives is essential for us to hold on to. But here's the deal. We have an adversary. We have an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, who's the father of lies. And I would also add, is probably the best identity thief in the history of the world. And he's going to try to convince you that you are not free from the reign and rule of sin in your life, that you are not God's beloved son and daughter. And this isn't a new strategy for him. It was a strategy he used against Jesus when he took him out to the desert to tempt him. The first thing before he did anything was he attempted to get Jesus to question his identity. 
Are you really the son of God? Mm. And friends, he's going to do it to you too. Are you really free from the reign and rule of sin in your life? Are you really his beloved son and daughter? And I'll tell you how he's going to do it. He's going to remind you of the shame and the guilt you feel for things you've done. He's going to remind you of the shame that you might feel for things done to you that you've wrongly took upon yourself as a reason to feel shameful. Mm. Brothers and sisters, if I could appeal to you, do not be deceived. Do not forget your identity. You have been set free from the reign and rule of sin in your life. And you are God's beloved son mm. and daughter. Mm. Continue with me, friends. Let's look at uh, chat, or verses 12 and 13. So we have no, we have consider. We're going to look at our third. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is it possible? Is it possible for a person who has been set free from the reign and rule of sin in their lives to allow themselves to fall under its reign again? I'm going to ask you that question. Look at the text. Verse 12 seems to make it clear it is possible. Which begs this question, friends. Why would those of us who have been set free from the reign and rule of sin in our lives go and seek to sin again and risk being put under that reign and rule again or choose that? And the answer is this. Because we like that sin. We like the old life. James tells us each one of us is enticed by our own desires and it whispers our name and it knows what we like and it woos us to come. And here in the first half of the verse, chapter, or verse 13, the apostle Paul is saying, don't even present yourself to sin. Don't even go near it. Don't mess around. Now, my oldest daughter loves to bake and she's good at baking. And one of the things she bakes a lot for us is brownies, like a lot. And it's a bit of a problem for me. But she doesn't make those thin brownies. She makes the really big, thick Ghirardelli brownies. Yeah. Now, it's not just a problem for me. It's a problem for our seven-year-old son, Caleb. Because every night she makes these brownies, he smells that aroma, comes out of his room after we've all gone to bed, walks to the tray of brownies, and then consumes the entire tray. And no matter what we do, no matter how many times we tell him, just stay in your room, just stay in your room. <laughs> Son, there's going to be this discipline if you do it. Or don't you remember how awful your tummy ache was? When he smells that aroma, it woos him, and he goes, and he presents himself in front of that tray of brownies, and he eats all the brownies. We've actually resorted to hiding half-filled brownie trays up in our coat closets to keep all them the cabinets, yeah. from him. But friends, I think our struggle with sin is a little bit the same way. We get wooed, and then we go and we present ourselves to sin. So let's keep it real. If you've struggled with pornography, and you find yourself up in the middle of the night, 
meandering around with your computer, checking your email, doing internet research, you're probably presenting yourself to sin. Friends, if you're thinking or strategizing throughout your day how to get the attention of someone you think is attractive, but you're a married person, you're probably presenting yourself to sin. And friends, if you've struggled with addiction or alcoholism and you find yourself in a bar, you're presenting yourself to sin. And Paul is saying here, do not present yourselves to sin at all. Don't mess around with sin. I love what one of my favorite teachers says about us when we present ourselves to sin or we mess around with sin. He says, it's like those people who own wild animals in their houses. You know, tigers and cougars and mountain lions. He says, inevitably, you see the headline that says, man mauled by pet tiger. And inevitably, you look in the story and you see a quote and somebody says like, I just don't understand. Fluffy was such a gentle and nice cat or nice tiger. Friends, two things. One, it was a cat. Can't trust cats. My daughter's going to kill me for saying that. (laughs) Two, it's a wild animal. It's in its nature to attack. You keep it around long enough, it's going to try to rip your face off. But friends, sin is no different. Its nature is to enslave. Its nature is to try to take over your life again. And we cannot mess around with it. We are courting disaster when we present ourselves to sin. But let's move on to the second half of verse 13. Let's read it again just real quickly. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Friends, one of the things I love about the Bible is it never just says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It always says, don't do this, but do this instead. So don't gossip and slander. Speak words of edification. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And in here, don't present yourselves to unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as an instrument for righteousness. So what does it mean, friends, for us to present ourselves to God as instruments to righteousness? I don't think anybody has defined that or clarified that better than the late theologian R.C. Sproul. He says it this way, to present yourself to God as an instrument for righteousness means that as a Christ follower, you are to surrender your mind, your heart, your will, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, every part of you. And to go before your God and say, I am yours. Everything about me is yours because I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Finally, let's close with the last verse of chapter six. It says this, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And I love the final words of this chapter, how the apostle Paul does not say, don't let sin have dominion over you. He says, sin won't have dominion over you. It's no longer a hopeless struggle, but there's victory. There's victory there. 
You now have the power of the Spirit. You're under His grace, which means your dependence is on Him. That's beautiful freedom that we've been granted. Amen. So know, consider, and present yourself to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Although sometimes it is hard to hear. Sometimes it slaps us in the face. But I love that it sets us free. Although the old life may call and beckon us, we are no longer obligated because you have given us the power of your spirit. So God, I just uh, ask you to finish what you have started in us, in our lives, and we will give you all the glory and all the honor. We love you. Thank you for the privilege that we get to be your children. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.